Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Gastroenteritis Blues. My name is Steve Littman. I am with Emily Cannell, Dan Volpone, who is back from his load management from last weekend, and a very special guest uh, with us now is formerly of the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, and currently of The Ringer, John Gonzalez. John, thank you so much for being here, man. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. We're excited to have you. This was, uh, you're definitely somebody that we've wanted to talk to for a while. So I really appreciate you doing this. You guys got to shoot higher, set your standard higher. <laughs> you were like, what are you doing today? And I'm like, I'm free. What are you guys doing? <laughs> no, honestly though, like as soon as we started the pod, we made a list of like people we want to have on and you were on the original list. So I don't know why it took us over a year to reach out, but yeah, it worked out. We're glad, really happy to have you on. You Sorry. were on there. Keith Pompey was on there. Jim Lynham. All the heavy hitters. So yeah, Bible's dad is also on the list. Awesome. So. That's true. <laughs> That's awesome. The Sixers this week they went, I think two and one. They lost. They got the shit kicked out of them by the Knicks. Terrible game to watch. Um, Knicks made everything Joel look bad. They beat Detroit in a very Sixers fashion. Felt like a loss. It was a win technically, but they sort of looked like shit. And then last night, for the first time this year, they had a really really good win. Uh, over Atlanta, who they beat by a lot. And all of a sudden, the Sixers have the top offensive rating in the league. John, what was your uh, reaction to this week in Sixers and sort of where are you at currently with uh, the team as is? Yeah, I was saying to you guys, I've watched uh, every second of the Sixers so far. I haven't missed a moment. Uh, and I know that Dan took a, a mental health week, which I get because this week is sort of a microcosm of what this team has been like, right? Where Man, that Knicks game was brutal. They looked really bad. And somehow it ended up being worse than the Nets game. They should have won the Nets game. That was a right. game that they had in hand, and then they just coughed it up. But the Knicks game really exposed a lot of their flaws. And then they beat the Pistons, as you said, in sort of a Sixers fashion in the game against a team that's not good at all. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the Hawks come in, and, and the Hawks are deep and talented and young and feisty. And the Sixers had that the entire way. So... What do I make of this team? I have no idea because you mentioned the offensive efficiency. You mentioned, you know, like the three-point shooting has been incredible this season in terms of percentage. Uh, the defensive rating has obviously slid back, but they're creating all these opportunities offensively. And then you look around and you go, some of their parts is kind of weird, right? Because you've got Embiid and Tobias Harris and then like just a ton of role players. So right. I don't know what to make of this team. I have no idea. It, it, 
varies day to day for me too. Emily, what did you think about this week in Sixers and who stood out to you? Yeah, the Knicks game, I just would like to choose to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is one I'm just going to block out of my memory. Um, I really think that the Atlanta game was the one, well, the one that I'm hoping is what the Sixers identity is, I guess I should say, because they look great and Joel looked great and he looked gassed against the Knicks. I was like, was Arthur up all night? Like, why did this man not <laughs> sleep? Like, what is happening with him? In Atlanta, he looked great. Um, I'm starting to wonder if like George Niang was like the missing piece on this team the entire time. Was this, was he all that we needed to like make it to the Easter conference finals last year? But yeah, I, I'm choosing to think that the team we saw against Atlanta is our Sixers team, but I'm sure I'll be disappointed. I love that. The, the Niang thing, Doc, I, I think is doing a bit and playing him at center sometimes just to sort of stick a finger in the eye of like the Ben Simmons people who wanted him at center all the time. He goes, look at this guy. I'll put him at center. I don't care. Like, it's great. What about Tyrese? I, Tyrese had a bad game against the Knicks. He got his ankles broken by his friend, Emmanuel quickly, and then had two good games after that. I've been encouraged by, it's really hard thing to ask for him to, and he wasn't even really a lead guard at Kentucky and and to be the point guard on a team that wants to really try to win. Um, I think he's really, you know, and they've been giving him tough defensive assignments. He played really well on Trey last night. Uh, he, he guarded Harden when they played the Nets. Um, I've been really impressed with his growth, and he needs to continue to be willing to shoot threes. But, John, is there something that stuck out to you about Tyrese, and, and how confident do you feel in him as a starter right now? I like Tyrese. I think he, I mean, you outlined all of it, right? I mean, it's a lot to ask of a guy who's, what, 20-something years old and but yeah, I think like 20, right? Is he 20 yeah. on the yeah, number? Nailed it. Still 20. I'm a, I'm a professional. <laughs> uh, but he, you know, it's a lot to ask. It's a high pressure situation. You've got a team that has championship aspirations in an Eastern conference, by the way, that is as wide open as we've seen in a very long time. I mean, you could like, you know, pick out of a hat and I wouldn't be surprised uh, which team you picked, you know, ended up in, you know, with a home court advantage for the playoffs. So um, it's a lot to ask, but I think he's doing well with it. And he just needs reps. He needs to get out there. Right. I mean, like there's going to be games like the Knicks where you're like, Hmm, not sure he's going to be starting caliber. And then there's going to be games like the Hawks where he stepped into a couple of shots from deep that I really liked, or he was playing good defense and, you know, he's quick as hell going up and down the court. And that's something, you know, I think ultimately long-term on a championship team, I could definitely see him. I'd be more comfortable with him running the second unit, right? Like instant offense coming in, blazing up and down the court. He's a guy who like, a couple of years ago, you would have died to have Tyrese Maxey on this team, right? An extra ball handler the whole bit. Now he's got to be the main guy and you go, all right, um, at least he's an athletic presence where, you know, Emily had mentioned George Niang being the missing piece. He is not. Uh, no, I don't mean not the missing piece. He might be the missing piece, although I'm skeptical, but he's not athletic. Furkan is not athletic. We like, you know, you have a bunch of these guys who are just sort of like, really nice shooters and role players, but they're not dynamic in any way. So that gives me uh, optimism about his future. Yeah, we should mention Shake Milton back. Uh, he had two games. Uh, he's back from the ankle injury. You know, somewhere along the way, Sixers fans started talking about Shake Milton like he's Mike Scott. Like, I don't know how Sixers fans were making like Shake one of the Doc guys that they hate that Doc plays. Shake's like 25 and people are like over it. 
Uh, I'm an optimist on Shake. I was happy to see him back, and he had some good games. Emily, thoughts on Tyrese and thoughts on how Shake looked uh, since he was back? In regards to Tyrese, I've always – I just love him. Um, I also think that he's a big energy guy for whatever that's worth. Um, I know in the post game we sent this clip around to each other. Matisse was talking about the energy that Tyrese brings to the floor, both for the young guys and the vets. Like he just brings something, some, I don't know if it's youthful exuberance or what, but it makes people want to play up to his energy level. And I think that there's value in that. And he's fun to watch. Um, I love a guy that just plays hard and does whatever it takes to get stuff done. I think that's fun. Um, and shake. Yeah. Shake looks good. He's not, I, he's probably not in game shape yet, uh, but there was nothing like glaring in his game it seems like his shot looks good but I think in terms of like which young guy am I more excited about I think last year I would have said shake I think this year the answer is Maxi. so Dan any assorted thoughts uh from the week that you sort of took off and also how great was it to take the week off from the Sixers it was really nice like I didn't even purposely take the week off but like I'm usually very busy, so I have to be, like, out of my way to watch the games, which mm-hmm. I always do. Like, I'll, I'll like, stop doing schoolwork and watch the game. And and because I like watching the Sixers. Um, Wait a minute. But you're still in school right now? I'm in medical school. All right. Uh, I felt a little bit better. <laughs> I'm young, but I'm not quite that I parted yet. all yeah. of you before we started the show. Please continue. I'm so rude for interrupting, but I'm just, like, I'm almost <laughs> collecting Social Security, and you're <laughs> talking about school. Go ahead. You know, yeah, but it's uh, like usually I have to go a bit out of my way when then I always do. I want to see the games. But this week I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go out of my way to watch the Sixers. I happen to be doing something else. And I was like, I'm going to keep doing the something else. And it was pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. Um, my only real thought from the week was the Sixers social is kind of killing me. I'm oh not sure God. who's running it. I don't mean to trash anyone. I know it's a hard job, but the NFT stuff is killing me. They need to st- they have like this crypto sponsor now. I get it's their job. It's not like their fault, but like it's driving me nuts. Daryl won't shut up about it. He's so strange about this thing. And on top of that, as if that's not bad enough, before the Hawks game, they tweet the rematch as if like this is this win could even if we win the game, it could make up for losing this series to a team we should have beat. And it just reminds me of like when Vikings fans were bragging when they beat us the next year after we beat them 38 to 7. What, what are we doing here? Like, I'm happy. We're off to an okay start. Um, and I was happy to see they went two and one in the, in the week I took off. But, like, what the hell are we doing that we're considering, <laughs> we're considering this a rematch of everything? And between all of that nonsense, we have not just, like, the sponsorships, but the actual guy running the team who won't make the trade we all want will not stop talking about this, like, environment ruin, ruining crypto art that I can copy and paste and make my own profile picture if I wanted to. I can't take it anymore. You just have to get on the train, Dan. That's the I will way. not get on the train. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. And John, do you, I, uh, do you understand the NFT thing? What the fuck is going on? I, I'm aware of it, and I understand that people are super into it. Before I get to that part, though, that was an excellent rant, Dan. Oh, yeah. Thank uh, you. I appreciate and, it. And now That's I understand why you had it. Well, you had to take a week off because you almost <laughs> popped a blood vessel on that one. Um, yeah, the NFT thing is weird. Uh, I, I think like you know, for, for the ringer, we have like, you know, obviously we all communicate via Slack and there are all kinds of different channels because we do all kinds of different things. So our NBA Slack is pretty robust. 
And the minute that those guys all change their avatars uh, to those new cartoony NFT things, uh, it hit our Slack like a bomb exploded and everybody started talking about it, especially because Simmons was involved. So, right, right. I mean, yeah, the whole thing is a complete shit show, but uh, <laughs> the NFTs aren't for me. I don't, it's like, why would I, writ large NFTs, like why would I pay for, you know, a video of LeBron dunking or a picture of somebody doing some action that I could just access on the internet anyway? It doesn't understand. make any sense. Yeah. I don't know. And there was, I don't know if you, if you saw this, um, I don't even remember if we talked about this on the pod or not, but a few weeks ago, Tobias Harris was tweeting about his new like profile picture NFT and someone cop and, and someone also, I forget who looked into it and found out he paid like six figures for it. And someone <laughs> copied his profile picture, like saved his Twitter profile picture and replies to it on his tweet. And it's like, I got this one for free. And Tobias is like, damn, you got yours for free. It's like, no, you idiot. That's the whole point of this thing is that anyone could get this for free. And you pay six figures for it. I don't understand. Like there will be someone who will buy it from Tobias for more than six figures, and therein lies the value of it. So yeah, we'll see. Anyway, so. yeah, let's get All into right. our uh, questions here for John and let you. Enjoy yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so John, I don't know if you know this, but we do things a little bit differently here, in that we talk about Ben Simmons on this podcast. I know most Sixers <laughs> podcasts don't cover the Ben Simmons situation at all. And we actually do here. So, John, what do you think of the Ben Simmons situation? And when we when we look at how things are with how things are, it could be broad in that like why we lost, why 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 Ben is here but not here here, and uh, everything with the state of the Sixers right now. How are you dividing the blame there? All right. So first, I want to preface it with uh, you know like Lane Johnson was just talking about mental health. Calvin yes. Ridley just decided that he's going to step away for a while. To, I have no idea the extent of the issues that um, Ben Simmons is dealing with. I, I understand, like having grown up in Philadelphia and covered sports in Philadelphia for a long time, it's a hard place to play. And I, I wish him nothing but the best, like getting his mind right and whatever that requires, you know, Godspeed. That said, what a shit show. That, like, when you think, like, like, all the things that the Sixers have been through, I tweeted this out. I'm going to cannibalize for myself, but like they had a general manager who was like throwing shade at the entire organization through multiple burner accounts. And they almost killed a dude with a sesame allergy. And then all of a sudden they're like, hold on a second. You haven't seen anything yet. Let's talk about Ben Simmons. And like, like every time something happens with the Sixers and, you know, like I know a ton of people in the organization, um, even with the turnover, like, I think about the PR guys and I'm like, my God, you guys basically are crisis managers mm -hmm. for like the least well-run organization in the world. Cause like every year something else happens. So um, from a PR standpoint, it's a complete and utter mess from a basketball standpoint, you're seeing now on the court, like, Hey, they're still functional. It's just, you know, how do you accommodate Ben Simmons going somewhere else? Because clearly he wants to, and clearly this, it's probably better for everybody. So now it's just a sort of waiting game. And I really hope that it, it doesn't require us all waiting as long as Daryl said when he was like, this could go for four years, because kill me. That would be way too much. Terrible. So, so that's, that's how I feel. You wrote about this recently about uh, how, like this sort of fan temperature in Philadelphia for Ben, which I do think on some level and probably in a small way 
is impacted by the, the storyline that came out last week that you alluded to with mental health and, and sort of the, the things that Ben is dealing with uh, outside of his situation with the Sixers. But for months and months leading up to this most recent thing, he and his agency have created this sort of situation in Philadelphia. You mentioned that it's tough to play in Philadelphia, certainly. Friend of the podcast, Keith Pompey, was tweeting about them putting up like a great ball of China so that fans can't get to the players as they enter. Uh, of course, then he'll be on the court. Um, do you think that he'll ever play for the Sixers in Philadelphia again? And what do you think it will be like when that happens, if it does? Prior to the, so the column that I wrote that you're alluding to was prior to him saying that he needed a mental health break. Right. Um, and I, I really thought that he, like he was back. And this was also prior to the aborted press conference and the practice where he was wearing sweatpants with the phone in his pocket. <laughs> and before Doc was like GTFO. So right. this was all before that. So I thought, okay, look, he, he reports him. This is a bunch of checks. Right. And he's taken a bunch of heat. And Daryl probably says to him, look, man, it's going to be way easier for you to get traded if you come back and play and just suck it up and like, you know, we'll deal with it and then we'll ship you out. So I thought when he reported, okay, they're going to probably like bring him along slowly, start him during um, a road trip because you don't want to start him here because it's going to be more intense. Let people see him in the uniform again. Let people get used to the idea. Let him get some media done on the road because it's always, like, whenever you go on the road with the media, like visiting media, like if you're in OKC, there's nobody there, right? Now, especially post-COVID or, mm. you know, we're still in COVID, but post like hyper pandemic, media organizations aren't traveling as much. So you get some media on the road, get everybody acclimated, bring them back. Now, I'd be shocked if he plays in a Sixers uniform again. The question is like, you know, if he gets traded to the Western Conference, he only has to fake a back injury once a year, right? If he's in the Eastern Conference, it gets a little trickier. So eventually he's probably going to be in Philadelphia. The question is how much time lapses, what uniform is he wearing? Because He's going to hear it. I mean, this is the thing I was talking about. Like when, you know, Steve, when you were saying like, um, what kind of reception do I think? If he wears a Sixers uniform, this is what I wrote about in the story. He will get booed like nobody in a Philadelphia uniform has ever been booed before. Truly. Like there's no, there's, there's no analog. It will be the worst reception of any Philadelphia athlete. We, we booed the shit out of our guys for when they make a mistake in a game or ball game or whatever, and we boo the hell out of the other guys, but your own guy for something that's not performance related, unprecedented. So I uh, just quickly is, is, is your sort of guess or read on the situation that there's some level of like a tacit understanding between the Sixers and Simmons people that they're not going to trade him for a package they don't like, but they're also done with finding him for now, given this most recent sort of wrinkle so they'll just sort of mutually wait this out with him doing shoot arounds and individualized workouts with no real eye towards him actually playing. That's my hunch. That's not based yeah. on any information. I swear right. I just saw a report today, somebody saying like they might, they might play him on a, the upcoming like six game road trip or whatever. Um, okay. I mean, you know, if he wants to play and- Believe it when you see certainly, it, yeah. Yeah, they could, they could certainly bring him back. The part that you seized on there that, that I think is important is not trading him for a bunch of role players. Because as I look at this team now, you've got four guys who play 30 minutes or more. 
And then you've got functionally seven guys who play 20 minutes or more. And then you have three more guys in Emily's favorite, George uh, Yang, Shake Milton, and Andre Drummond who play 15 minutes or more. So you're, you're playing 10 guys, most of whom are role players, right? Mm-hmm. Like most of whom on any other team, like after Tobias Harris and um, Joel Embiid, like, and Seth Curry, I guess, you, if you took any of them and traded them to another team, they'd be role players, right? They're just, they're good role players. They're functional mm-hmm. role players. They're useful role players, but they're not stars or even like, like really dynamic role players. So if you're going to move Ben Simmons, you don't need bit parts. You already got a bunch. That kind of brings us into the next question I want to ask you, which is like, we look at some of the packages that have reportedly been offers been offered mm-hmm. and some of them seem like more than role players like i would say malcolm brogdon is more than a role player he's now off the table because he signed an extension can't be i wanted that year. one i wanted i i yeah. love he's good I, he's, he's he's really good he's really underrated he's on a good contract he's a good locker room dude and he does all the things you need and now he's off the table and even like the starts of the year mccollum has now i'm not sure mccollum's available or if he was if he still is but he's had a great start to the year. Um, and he was a guy I kind of had my eye on early on. I know a lot of people were against that, but I, I didn't think it was really a settle. I think he was a lot better than he was getting credit for. Um, but either way, I think even if he's not your first choice, we can agree he's more than a role player and would probably be immediately the second best player on this team. Um, and so you look at you know what has reportedly been offered and, and how true you think that is. How much do you think the you know, the whole Daryl Morey, like this could go on four years. We're not going to take, you know, guys who aren't great pieces. Like he, and he talks about title odds. He talked about it in the Missinelli radio interview. And he talked about, you know, this gives us the best shot at the title, but part of it to me feels like almost personal, like, and, and like, I, this is very much speculation, but like, it feels like there's some ego to it with like Rich, him and Rich Paul, like with all the reporting wars, like a lot of it is, is like personal reporting. Like, Oh, like, you know, you hear like ESPN saying, Oh, Daryl Morey is not going to blink or, or, you know, from the clutch side, you hear about, you know, well, Rich Paul's a great agent. He's going to not do anything that's not in the best interest of his client. And it feels almost like personal between the two of them. I don't know. How much do you think that is like playing into it here? Or do you think that's just me being frustrated? I understand why you're frustrated. I think it's frust- It's a frustrating situation and it, and it becomes this comedy of errors. But I, I think that those two things, like I, I would conflate it being like a, you know, bout of machismo between the two of them. I think it probably is um, Rich Paul wanting to do the best thing by his client. And it probably is Daryl Morey going championship or bust for us. I don't want to just be a team that's at a four or five seed. And to my previous point, you already got a bunch of role players. You They're good, but you, you need better than good to get to where the Sixers want to go. And the best trade ship that they have if they're going to move him is, is Ben Simmons. So you need commensurate value. I like you also like CJ McCollum think it would be a perfect fit because, you know, we've seen what the Sixers have done playing, you know, four and five out with shooters around Joel Embiid and like being one pass away from an open three, he'd be perfect for them. Uh, You're going to lose a lot defensively in terms of like uh, comparable value from Ben Simmons, but that's prior to when Ben Simmons was playing, right? Right now you have nothing, right? So you'd be getting something for a guy who you're get, you currently get nothing from. So I think you also have to think about it in that regard too. And, and ultimately I do trust Daryl Morey because he has 
he hasn't won a championship, but he has been hands down one of the top three general managers in the NBA since he got that gig in Houston. And I think what, Oh six or something. So how do you think this all ends? Like what's the trade? When does it happen? Look into your crystal ball. What do you think? How does it end? Terribly. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing ever goes well for the Sixers. It's and, and, you know, as a fan base, as, as people who both cover and, and like to watch, uh, the Sixers, we've sort of grown accustomed to it, right? Like, uh, it's almost like we take a perverse pride in how much the Sixers can hurt us with all of these missteps. Um, I I hope, again, that because they're under new management with Daryl Morey and because he's, he's legitimately one of the smartest people I know in basketball. I mean, he's he's so bright and so clever and like, you know, he's got this. So I I like to believe that he will figure out a trade that will be beneficial for the Sixers and uh, will help everybody move forward and also help them win. But history makes me skeptical because the Sixers are the Sixers. So uh, for you, for, for your career, what was it like for you uh, leaving sort of the uh, writing for the Inquirer and then you were with uh, NBC Sports Philly, or was it uh, CSN Philly? Uh, yeah, then, CSN and then NBC, yeah. Right. Um, what was it like for you to then go to the ringer and cover sports on a more national scale? Were you excited for that sort of challenge? Did you miss the friendly confines of Philadelphia? What was it like? Uh, I always miss the friendly confines of Philly. It's always great to go home. We were just in Philly a couple of weeks ago because Colleen Wolf, my wife, uh, who's a host for NFL Network, um she hosts Thursday Night Football for them and she hadn't ever done a show from Philly before so it was really awesome to like go back to the city and see everybody and like see the Eagles game and then of course the Eagles did what the Eagles do Mm -hmm. uh but that part was awesome but when I left NBC to come here to LA I didn't have a job I I just Colleen and I were cross-country for two years we were we were bi-coastal because uh, she had gotten a one-year deal in NFL Network, and I had a contract at NBC, and these jobs are really hard to get. And we we're like, shit, we've got two right now, so let's just fly back and forth, because what happens if, you know, we could go to none, and then we're really screwed. And then, like, after two years, we're like, this is ridiculous. So she's the superstar. I quit. I moved out. And I didn't know what I was going to do, and I just sort of went back to my, like, freelance roots, like, back in the day when I was about you, you guys' age, like, in my early twenties, I just was freelancing and pitching stories. And I started doing that and the ringer had just started and I pitched them a story and then one became two and two became 10 and 10 became, they kept me so busy. I didn't have time to do other freelance work. And then they hired me full time and um, it's been a great spot. I mean, they have a lot of very talented people. Uh, I really enjoyed my time only covering the NBA for them. I've since transitioned to, I write about all kinds of shit, like I did a bunch of stuff on succession and I interview actors and directors and comedians and I still do basketball or football as needed. Um, but yeah, it's a really, you know, it's a different thing because it's not that same parochial. We're all talking about the exact same thing ad nauseum. It's, you know, what's the world talking about? And that's sort of a different dynamic. Do you remember what the story was that you pitched that originally got you in the door at first? Yeah, actually I do. And they, they, they didn't take it. Um, 
Tim Tebow was trying to become a baseball player and he had a tryout out here. And I'm like, well, that's going to be weird. (laughs) I want to go to that. Cause I kind of sort of being obviously from Philly, I specialize in weird. We do weird better than anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were like, no, probably not. But at the time, again, they were just starting up. They're like, what we really need, because we don't have anybody to do this, is somebody to spend like two, three weeks reporting a story and writing at length. And I was like, I got the time and I know how to do that stuff. So I ended up spending about three weeks with the Lakers at the time uh, when they were sort of like a circus around. I remember D'Angelo Russell outing oh uh, Swaggy P. That was yeah. a great it, moment. Right. So <laughs> they put me on that and away we went. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So when you were in Philly, um, who was your favorite player to cover while you were here? Trying to think. I mean, there's been a lot. Like, you know... Michael Vick was an interesting one because, you know, I'm a dog owner and, you know, I love animals. And I like, like a lot of people, I was like, this is fucked up. And then I got to talk to Michael Vick over and over and over again and over and over and over again, he was not only contrite, but introspective. And like, I think something that's like really interesting that maybe people in the media don't know is a lot of athletes will give you really canned answers. Um, They're, prepackaged they're really tightly controlled in terms of like not only what they say but how long they'll say it for before a handler comes in with them off michael vick answered every question that i certainly ever had and i don't ever remember him ducking anything or telling like i I remember times when the media guys wanted to wrap stuff up and mike's like no we're having a conversation so i just have a huge amount of respect for that especially because he like even probably i guess it was two years ago now uh, now that he's at Fox Sports, I went over and, and talked to him for a story. And we, we, we talked for like two hours about like, like he might have been the least likely person I can imagine to end up in that spot. And he's exceeding now um, or excelling now because, you know, he didn't run from it. In fact, he did the opposite. He like anything that anybody wanted to ask him about his mistakes in life and how he tried to change things, he was all in about it. So I don't know if that makes him my favorite, but it's certainly somebody I, I respect. Yeah, that's that's really cool. He definitely, I mean, at least from a from a fan perspective, seemed to always 
kind of own what happened and be willing to talk about it. I, at least, you know, I, as someone who wasn't the one asking the questions, I still felt like that kind of came across. So uh, yeah, it's cool to hear you say. Yeah, um, like from just a professional perspective, I don't need you to be my buddy. I just need you to have a conversation with me like we're both humans, which if you're going to ask me if I can expand it to coaches, who's my favorite, Brett Brown. Like oh. that guy, I mean, like, just a really good, decent human. And Sam Hickey. Sam, like not a lot of people knew Sam because he didn't talk publicly, but he was as good as Brett was publicly behind the scenes. He just never did it on camera. And those two guys were just like really nice, decent, normal people that you could have really great conversations with. And that's all I ever ask. Oh, we miss we miss some that of those was, guys. It's a love me. side, Dan. You're like, oh. No, I... <laughs> You know, as as funny as it is when Doc says he doesn't know something that he obviously knows, <laughs> it's a clear lie. Do we I, know that he knows it? I don't. I don't he know. knows it. Come on, he knows stuff. He always says he doesn't know stuff. We know he knows stuff. But I I do miss Brett. Um, but so it's it's Halloween. Mm-hmm. I uh I went out last night and I got dinner at National Mechanics and. Andrea dressed, my girlfriend Andrea dressed like Blue from Blue's Clues, and I dressed like Steve, and we looked awesome. Uh, so, John, did you have a costume this year? Happy Halloween. And to tie this in, scariest Sixer story you've ever had. <laughs> oh, scariest Sixer story. Uh, that's a tough one. I'll have to think about that while I'm uh, dissembling on this, the first one. I, I didn't have a costume. I didn't do anything. Uh, I'm DNP old all the time. <laughs> like, uh, but beyond that, for Halloween, I was thinking about this on in the car uh, today. I ran some errands before we hopped on this call together, and I'm like, Halloween's a lot. Like, uh, what? I gotta like, I gotta get an outfit. Okay, well now I gotta think it through, and it's gotta be clever, and I gotta go someplace to get all these things or have it ordered, and like, it's a lot of effort. And then we're going to do what? We're going to do the same shit that we would do if I wasn't dressed up, which is hang out with people I know and maybe have some beers. Like, I'd rather a a regular Friday, Saturday, Sunday than Halloween's not generally my bag. Um, Scariest Sixers story. uh, I mean, early process was rough. Like, that was rough. Um, Sam going sucked. I don't know if that makes it scary, but it sucked. Because I was a big, big fan of his. Like, you know, the Angelo Cataldi's of the world who I love Angelo, you guys may be aware of this. He was my sports journalism professor in college. Uh, and so I've known him since literally I was a kid and he, he does a very specific thing uh, and he's very good at it and he's been very successful at it, but he like would hammer away at Sam because Sam would never get on camera or never get on the microphone. And I just thought like Josh Harris blinking when the league office and the local media put one hot light on him after he empowered Sam to do that thing. It just wasn't enough time and it wasn't fair to him. And it could have been something really awesome and special. And as a result, you've got a guy who is one of the brightest, nicest people I've ever met in my life who had an opportunity in sports and might not get one again. And it kind of sucks. It sucks, um, and it also seems like everything I read about Sam these days, it seems like, and I don't know if he just really loves what he's doing now or if the league was just so bad to him, but he really seems to not want back in in any way, and he seems pretty genuine in that, so it's kind of a shame we won't get to see him play a whole thing out. 
I did a story on him a couple of years ago because he had been gone for a couple of years. So, you know, we obviously have a good relationship. I finally got him to say, yes, I was one of the only people. I went to the Sloan Analytics Conference with him. And I asked him that question 75 times. You know, well, when are you going to get back in? Do you want to get back in? Whatever. And his answer was always, I want to do things that I'm interested in with people who are interested, right? Smart. I want to do smart things with smart people. And that's what he's done his whole life. And now he's doing it. It's just not in the NBA. And I think that frustration is more with us than it is with him. Like he's got a family, great kids, great wife. He's like living his life. And I, I bet we probably spend more time hemming and hawing and being upset about it than he does. I remember when the, um, uh, I think it was maybe, a, might have been a full year ago now, maybe a little more, when the Sixers hired Daryl and uh, Sam went on with Pablo Torre uh, and did a podcast with Pablo. And it was like a huge commotion around here. Like everyone listened to it right away, same day. And like, I know not everyone is listening to national podcasts every single day. Um, not that Pablo's podcast isn't worth listening to. It's just, there's a lot of great podcasts and everyone listened to that podcast that day because everyone wanted to hear what Sam was up to. It's definitely still uh, constantly talked about here. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about, I don't know if you saw this, but there's a writer named Alex Shepard wrote something for the New Republic recently about sports journalism. And he basically was saying that, you know, parts of sports journalism have been broken now. And the examples he used were Sham Sharania of The Athletic, his, his story about Kyrie Irving's uh, vaccination status, being a voice for the voiceless, that kind of stuff. Uh, and also Adam Schefter's uh, reported proximity to the New England Patriots as he continues in journalism. Like, what do you think about this idea of a journalist in sports getting too close to their subject or being leveraged by sources, you know, who might have a, an ulterior motive to get something out. And how have you dealt with that sort of thing in your own career? Yeah, it's not new. I mean, yeah. first I want to say that like Shams and Schefter do good work, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're world beaters in their disciplines, right? I mean, and Woj, of course, but the way the sausage gets made is not always pretty. And yeah, if, I mean, like there are times when Shams or other people uh, write things where you go, oh yeah, I mean, this is the favor trading thing, right? Cause like to call uh, Kyrie a voice for the voiceless is hilarious because, and I am certainly not the first person to point this out, you have a voice. So when people ask you about your vaccination status and you hard pass, that does not mean you're a voice for the voiceless. That makes you <laughs> voiceless for the voiceless. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of hilarious to see him characterized as this champion of a cause that he doesn't want to champion. As for Schefter, you know, hard and fast rule of like, you're never allowed to edit my piece. You know, if you're like, like, I don't even send quite like, unless it's like a really outstanding situation, like for an interview uh, of somebody so high caliber, you could never get them unless you showed them the questions ahead of time. I don't even go that far. Um, but I'm also not Adam Schefter and I don't have a zillion people on speed dial and I don't break every friggin' news story in my league. Like, yeah. so there's a trade-off and it's, it is a slippery slope situation. Like to a lesser extent, I would say, you know, everybody has contacts. That's a reporter, you know, unless you're just like writing opinion pieces or blogging or whatever. So like when I go to 
to write something sometimes about the NBA. That's the place where I have the, the most amount of sources and I'm like most clued in, but I'm not breaking anything. I'm just like checking in with people and asking right. them about stuff. And so you have to weigh those relationships and what you know versus what you can write and then how to write it. And, and so it can be sticky. And I think like the higher up the food chain that you go and the more sources that you get and the more people that you know, and the more stories that you're breaking, the stickier it gets. It's, it's difficult. It's not easy. I, don't, I think like the people who just write off Adam Schefter and go, oh man, he doesn't, he's not a journalist. Like, what are you talking about? He is, mm -hmm. but it's not as black and white as everybody likes to make it out. How do you feel about the criticism that, and I'm not looking to get you in trouble with anyone. I'm sure that, you know, you know, you're sharing an industry with, with, you know, Shams at least, or with Shams at least. Um, but the criticism that basically he is, you know, breaking news that is going to come out soon enough anyway. Um, and you could even compare that to, you know, I think even, you know, at the ringer, right? Like the ringer NBA team might not have, necessarily like news breakers, as you put it entirely, although KOC will sometimes, but I can even think about just you specifically, for example, um, pieces you write that have, you know, clearly like a, a big degree of research involved, whether that is, you know, financial expenditures of NBA owners or um, what people are thinking around the league. And it, that does feel like a different thing. And you, like you said, it's not black and white, but it does feel like a different thing than what you get from Shams and his news breaking or even Woj and his news breaking and I think that when you see uh, and, it, and it made me so mad you know the other day um, you know especially as like I'm like I said I'm in medical school I, I see like doctors complaining about you know not complaining but just discussing how hard it is to get you know people to get vaccinated and and, and sending a message and to see you know, not just Kyrie using his platform to basically sow doubt, but also Shams amplifying that in a way that is completely unnecessary. Like he didn't have to um, amplify everything Kyrie Irving is saying. I mean, how do you, what do you think about, you know, the criticism that like he's using, basically doing somewhat harmful things in leverage for, you know, breaking news a few seconds earlier than Woj might, but that might not be really necessary as a job and is not necessarily original like some of the work other people might be doing. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the criticism is is fair. I mean, especially when it comes in to matters of public health. And I, I am, as a journalist, um, predisposed to fact, uh, truth, science, um, expertise. You know, like that stuff matters to me. Um, reporting truth matters to me. And amplifying uh, a voice that might not have that same affinity and affection for those things is something that I'm not personally cool with. Uh, you professionally, again, though, I understand, you know, why Shams might do something like that, you know, like I get, because like what Woj and Shams do and Schefter do is light years different than what I do. Like they break news, right? And yes, will it come out moments later or days later or something like that? Of course, everything always comes out. But their industry is literally being the people who put it out first. And nine times out of 10, they are. And they're better at it than everybody else. And like, hey, like if somebody else could beat them, they would, but they can't. And, and there's something like seriously to be said for that. I mean, like that is an accomplishment. What I do is completely different. I mean, like I, I talk to people to inform pieces that generally 
like like they're breaking stuff in tweets or writing stories that are like you know here's the information i'm done i'm gonna go on tv now uh i can't say hello in under 1200 words i'm writing 5,000 word pieces of like you mentioned the nba owner political donations that thing took over a year to do you know they're doing stuff that's happening right now. If they, if they waited to do something for a year, they'd get fired. So <laughs> um, I, I I'm not really in a, a position to criticize uh, the job that they do because they do it so well. The only umbrage that I take is with promoting you know potential conspiracy theories or things that might negatively impact the public health. Right. Yeah. All right. No. Fair enough. We appreciate your thoughts on it. Um, so on like, I guess, you know, less serious, a bit happier, well, maybe happier, note, okay. depending on how you feel about uh, draft picks. The Eagles won today. They won big, uh, very notable 44 to six score. What did you think? Just really in general, what do you think about the Eagles? We love the Eagles, even though we're a Sixers podcast. Today was a much better game, although the Lions are awful. So what do you think? Uh, I think that I pulled a Dan. And took a mental health day. Wow! Uh, because it was the Lions. I I had previously watched every second of the Eagles, and that was really starting to wear on me. And I was like, I don't know why, what I'm doing with my Sundays or alternately my Thursdays. It's a lot. So I knew I was coming on with you guys, and so I had to get a bunch of stuff out of the way first. And then I checked in on the score, and I went, Well, that's weird. And I, but I will say, if you're asking me what I think about the Eagles, I think they really hit on something today. Uh, and I think a really good strategy for them moving forward would be to play teams that are worse than them. <laughs> they should do that every week. I like it. Yeah. So finally, before we let you get out of here, uh, you mentioned doing some work on succession, interviewing and, and writing about succession. I love that show. You interviewed Matthew McFadden, who plays my favorite character on Succession, Tom Wamsgams. And, you know, as Dan was talking about taking a week off and as you talk about sort of the shit that always happens with the Sixers, I can't help but invoke Tom's line about the sad I am with you. Like if the sad that I am without you, might, might that be better? I think all the time when it comes to the Sixers. And yet here we are. Um, I was wondering if you could draw some parallel to the palace intrigue and the Roy family and to that of the Sixers hierarchy in the, uh, at the end of the Hinky era, leading into the Colangelo, like Logan Roy, certainly some Colangelo vibes there, Jerry. Um, do you see any comparisons there that, that are apt? Yeah, actually, when Emily was asking like how this is all gonna end, and I had said terribly, and it makes me think all the time, whenever there's a crisis with the Sixers, because there's always one, it makes me think of the PR people, well, one of the pieces I did before Matthew McFadden uh, was like leading up to season three, I got real, I went and found real crisis management experts who deal with this shit in real life to break down all the storylines in succession. And like, how would you handle the Roy family's various issues? And like, they played along and they were great about it. Uh, but during that, it made me think of the Sixers as well, because they should have a crisis manager on staff. I mean, like, yes. what are the parallels? The parallels are, uh, it's an organization that's constantly in the news and never for anything good. It's always because there's a fire and they're always putting out the next one and the next one's always hotter than the one before it. So yeah, it's a complete and utter shit show. But to tie this all up, much like Succession, imminently watchable. I mean, yes. like, 
like the Ben Simmons thing, tap it into my veins. I can't get enough of that, you know, yeah. and succession too. I mean, like complete and utter shit show. They're all awful people. I never miss an episode. Yes, totally agree. Uh, Dan and Emily, anything else for John before we let him out of here? I actually have one more question. So you mentioned like at the ringer, you know, you started with NBA, but you've been writing about so much other stuff. And I think my perception of the company is it kind of seems like a place where people who can kind of get into things that they're into, whether or not it's like typically their beat. So is there anything that you are like dying to write that you've been working on or have like been brainstorming? I was looking back at your like back catalog and you have a lot of like media, sports media articles and you have, there's a swimming article, just like a lot of like random stuff. Like what's the random thing that you really want to write about? That's a good question. Part of it is a, you know, like I might have a couple of future answers for you, but I don't want to tip my hand because, you know, Fair. you guys have a massive podcast and of all of a sudden the competition here is what I'm doing next and they beat me to it. Fair. And I'd be pissed off. However, I will say to you for years and years and years, I was dying to do like, I am uh, a fast and furious lunatic. I have not only seen all of them, I have seen all of them upwards of like multiples, like exponent times. To the, to the point where my wife, uh, it's really getting, starting to wear on her. She hasn't left me yet, but like one of these days she's going to come in and see me watching Fast Five for the 50th time. She's going to be like, I'm getting my shit and I'll see you around. <laughs> uh, but so I had like, pushed and pushed and pushed for this. And we, we just right before Fast Nine wrote the definitive character rankings from the entire franchise. It was me, Miles Surrey, and Andrew Grevedaro. The other two guys are just as big into it as me. And it was like, I don't know how many words we wrote on it. It was like 20,000 words of Fast and Furious, which is so absurd. Uh, but that was one that checked off my bucket list for sure. Cool. Do, uh, before we let John go, do we want to uh, uh, have him do picks with us? Sure. So, John, uh, we every week we pick uh, whether or not the Sixers will win or lose their slate of games. At the end of the year, we have to come up with some sort of wager, but somebody will have to do something awful, like continue to do this podcast and somebody will get something good. <laughs> um, so just to give you guys the slate for this week, and John, you'll certainly go first. Uh, the Sixers play home against Portland and future Sixer Damian Lillard, home against Chicago and future Sixer Zach Levine, then at Detroit and at Chicago. Uh, it's a four-game week. There are no back-to-backs. Uh, John, what do you predict for the Sixers this week? Am I uh, running through all four or are we going in one at a time around the horn? No, you'll go all four. All four. Okay. Portland is not playing great, although they played better recently. I'm going to say that's a W. Chicago has been excellent and they're deep. I'm going to say that's a loss. Detroit's a tire fire and should be relegated if the NBA had relegation. So that's a win. And then you're at, oh, you know what? Mm, you got two games at Chicago this week, right? Mm-hmm. There are two games against Chicago this week, one at home, one on the road. Give right. me, give me win-win at home uh, with Portland and Chicago win against Detroit on the road loss at Chicago. I'm going to say three and one this week. I don't think they're going to lose both Chicago games. That's, that's what I would say too. They'll lose the road Chicago game. Emily, what do you take this week? Well, I was going to say the same thing as you guys, but I feel the need to mix it up a little bit. So I, I'm going to say, they lose to Portland at home, beat Chicago at home, B 
beat Detroit. I was going to say they lose to Detroit, just lean into the chaos, but I can't do that to myself. Um, and then lose against Chicago on the road. So loss, win, win, loss. Okay. I'll say, I'll say the same thing. I'll say win, 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 loss. And, you know, the more Philly teams can play Detroit, the better, I think. Like, this is great. <laughs> Just lean into Detroit. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we know it's your Sunday, and, and we appreciate you spending an hour of it with us. So, privately, I'm looking forward to, uh, you sort of alluded to some work that you have that you won't mention. I think that it's probably an expose on where Dan was last week. He said it was sort of a load management week. Let's find out where he actually went. Uh, I would love to read that. Uh, is there anything else that we can promote for you before we get you out of here? Uh, no, uh, you know, read the Make sure to watch uh, NFL Network on Thursdays for fabulous Colleen Wolf, who it's nice to have somebody talented in, in the media in our family uh, <laughs> carrying the load. So I'm a big fan of hers and a big fan of you guys. Like you have a great podcast and a fun dynamic and this was such a breezy, fun hour and I'm honored you asked me to come on. So thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks, thanks. so much for doing this. Have a great day, and uh, we'll continue to, you know, be fans of yours, and we'd love to check in with you down the line. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Yeah. So the last thing for us is, is some housekeeping. We have uh, on the podcast a new addition to the podcast, uh, an intern. Drew is joining the podcast. Dan, do you, you had a very clandestine meeting with him, and uh, do you have anything to share from that? We're very excited to have Drew as a part of the podcast, we're going to introduce them on here, maybe in the midweek pod or, or next weekend. But um, yeah, anything that you have to say about about our new addition to the family here? Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure what clandestine means. That's However, right. don't worry about it. Um, I'm really excited. We have Drew Pelsman joining the pod as our you know intern. He's going to bring like some degree of professionalism to the podcast, I think, which is very exciting for uh, everyone who. Uh, probably fairly says that the audio isn't always the best. He's going to do some work <laughs> on that um, uh, because he, we don't really know how to edit and Drew does know how to edit. Um, we're hoping to also, you know, do a bit of uh, promotion on Twitter. Um, and by promotion, I mean, you know, clips of the pod, highlights, um, mix some video in there. Uh, Drew knows how to do all of that. So we're really excited. Um, and we'll definitely have him on at some point. He, uh, I could tell just, from meeting with him very shortly. He's a really nice kid and loves the Sixers and is, you know, not just a Sixers fan, but is familiar with the podcast. Um, and is a big listener of the podcast, is a reader of Liberty Ballers. So, you know, I think he'll fit in, he'll fit in great. And, you know, he'll, he'll, you know, he'll fit in with what we're doing, but also I think, you know, make it even better and, and, and do some things that we've been wanting to do um and and didn't quite know how to do with, with um or just it would take us a lot longer to figure out how to do it and actually do it and this is something he's very good at which is you know getting some highlights out there and and fixing you know any any sound that may go wrong which is definitely going to happen when you're recording on zoom so um and 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 just like a like a good another good sixers personality so we're you know we're very excited to have him joining and you know he'll when this pod comes out it'll have It'll have gone through Drew. So, uh, you know, we're excited to, to see what happens and we're excited to have him aboard. Welcome, Drew. Emily, Emily, anything else for you before we say goodbye to the people? We, can, we need the standings also from Emily, right? Oh, we do. Uh, Good call. Good call. I can give the standings. So the standings are pretty boring. Um, we're all four and two because Dan got the loss 
to the Knicks right, but didn't get the win against Atlanta. And then me and Steve had picked all wins. So we obviously got the Knicks game wrong. So this week will be someone will, since we're not, I mean, I guess I don't really know how math works, but perhaps this week will be the week where the standings change to not we'll be completely be tied. Last, right? What's that? I don't, yeah, I guess because there's one game where we're different. Yeah. Last time there were two. So yeah, this week there'll be. So Emily's rooting, rooting against us in the Portland game. Wow. I never thought I'd wow. see the day. Emily rooting against the Sixers. Jeez. Like, should have just gone all wins like I normally do. <laughs> yeah, so That's what I thought you year, were going when you said you were going to do it differently. I was like, oh, she's picking the win. Like, always at do. the end of the year, your record is the Sixers record. It's like, you know, it's not a bad bet. Yeah, it's not a bad <laughs> strategy. It's yeah. probably the smart strategy. Yeah. <laughs> what fun is that, guys? Yeah. Well, again, thank you to John Gonzalez. He was great. Um, that was really fun. And um, that's it. Yeah. Welcome, Drew. And uh, we'll be back with another podcast, I think, Wednesday after the game against Chicago, I guess. We'll do that. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening. What else? Anything else? Just the usual. Nope. The usual. Be safe and be great. Good to see you both. Um, we'll talk to you soon. See you. Bye. Soon.